Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger. On this episode of Better Off, we're talking to Brad Stone, author of The Upstarts. He's diving deep into how Uber, Airbnb, and the killer companies of the new Silicon Valley are changing the world. We think of venture capitalists as as the wise men, and yes, unfortunately, mostly men of Silicon Valley. And yet, most of them looked at this, looked at Uber, and looked at Airbnb, and passed because they were scared it was a fight and because the CEOs didn't look like the Bill Gates, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the geeky kind of guys of the past. And they missed out on the biggest investment opportunities of their careers. All that and more on the latest episode of the Better Off Podcast. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast, sponsored by Betterment, the smarter way to invest your money. I am very interested in this interview, and here's why. I am basically a dope when it comes to technology. I really am. I have great respect for the innovators of the universe, and I thought it would be so much fun to talk to somebody who really went down deep into the origin stories of two mega successful companies, Uber and Airbnb. That's why we wrangled Brad Stone, the author of The Upstarts. He was able to tell the stories of these two companies and explain to me why guys who basically were sort of flying the couch for a while turned out to be billionaires. What were the conditions that made the economy ripe for sharing? What are the next upstarts? It is fascinating to hear how Airbnb and Uber totally disrupted two industries. So stay tuned. And as always, leave a rating in the iTunes store because Mark says it makes a difference. I'm not sure why, but it does. So check it out. Subscribe. Pass it along. Share it. And don't forget to stay tuned for the end of the episode where we do what? The call of the week. Yes, your financial questions answered. If you want to be on the program, just shoot us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. You can always tweet us a question at Jill on Money, hashtag better off. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for the interview segment of Better Off. And how exciting that we have got Brad Stone. He is the author of The Upstarts, How Uber, Airbnb, and the Killer Companies of the New Silicon Valley are Changing the World. Let me do the bio because it's very impressive. Thank you, Jill. Brad Stone is senior executive editor of Global Technology at Bloomberg News and the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon. You've covered Silicon Valley for more than 15 years. You live in San Francisco. Uh, So let me start by saying that every guest who comes on this show, we ask a a, a sort of a a generalized question. You ready? I'm ready. Prepare. Okay. I'm I'm stealing myself. This is one of those. What is the best money decision you have made? It's not going into journalism, I'll tell you that. Um, Boy, what is the bet? That's okay. That's an interesting question. Um, <sighs> writing a book about Amazon at really? the time that I did, because you know, I, I it was almost a matter of timing that it was uh, the, there was a mystique around the company and people were interested in it. So I was able to enjoy the curiosity around the company. So when was that published? That was 2013, and I have to tell you, the the market cap of Amazon. I should look again. It has gone up. 
by a factor of three since that book came out. Do you think that you have contributed to that? I would say that this is your input and uh, your you have actually Bezos should thank you and you didn't even get to interview him for it, right? Okay, well a couple of things. First of all, I zero I contributed zero amount. <laughs> so uh but remember they I, I did talk to Jeff throughout the Throughout the process, and I had had a, you know, I had covered the company for the New York Times for that, but they didn't like the book. And remember, Jeff's wife gave me a one-star review on Amazon. That's so mean. Yeah. Well, and unnecessary. You know, but expressing her, uh, you know, her uh, opinion of everyone to be a critic these days, so I didn't hold that against them. In fact, it probably helped the book sales somewhat, though <laughs> perversely. Um, but. You know, but subsequent to the book, more negative depictions came out about the culture at Amazon. So I wasn't, you know, uh, standing alone in the critique. But, you know, but th that book was largely favorable because Amazon is a great company and it's changed the way a lot of us shop. All right. So you wrote a book. It was timely, but you're also super smart. You're a great writer. And tell me about the upstarts. Um, you begin this book. Low many years ago, inauguration day for the first Obama term. Why did you start there? Well, first of all, I have to say that it started really after the Amazon book and my search for, okay, what's next? Are there any more iconic stories? And I had assembled a couple of them. Uber and Airbnb were among them. And then I watched over the last two years as these two companies became the companies in Silicon Valley. This is really the sequel to the Amazon book, but it was going to be two threads. And then I was looking for areas of commonality. And at one point, I discovered through talking to the founders of both companies that they were all at that first inauguration. They were kicking around anonymously in the crowd that day, the, the businesses just fledgling. And everything was different because we didn't have smartphones and, and you know, Uber wasn't, didn't exist. So to me, it's the beginning. What is it about these two companies that captivated you and has captivated us as a culture? I mean, there's a couple of things. There's the sheer wealth creation. Like we're kicking around numbers that, and in, in even in Silicon Valley, that we had never talked about before. Uber's worth $69 billion on paper. Like it's ridiculous. There's just the simple adoption and embrace of the services that, you know, they're very controversial, but people do tend to love their Ubers and their Lyfts and, and their Airbnbs. And then there was the chaos and the controversy that it's a fight in every city and every country around the world. And, you know, that's good for storytelling. And I think what was also interesting to me is that um, they seem like very different types of leadership models. Um, and, and you trace both of the companies. And the, from their roots and how they kind of move through. I don't know. I read the book and I'm like, eh, Travis seems like kind of a jerk. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I've read stuff and I try not to do that because, you know, I don't know these people from Adam, right? But what was your impression when you started to get to know them? So, you know, Travis Kalanick, the CEO of Uber, certainly does have the reputation of being kind of a jerk, a hard driver, take no prisoners, turn your back on the regulator in the room. Um, and, and Brian Chesky of Airbnb, the reputation is is uh, is much friendlier. Um, you know, he he's more of a, you know, charismatic kind of community leader, almost a religious leader when you come to some of these host meetings. And yet I found, as I told these stories and I researched them, that they, on the surface, may be very different, but you dig in a little bit and, and not not so different. Yeah, the reputations are different. The styles are different. But, um, you know, they're, they're both hard driving entrepreneurs. And when you look at these companies, and obviously we hear so much about the sharing economy and sharing economy, I think what's also interesting is they weren't the first in the space, either of them, right? 
Totally right. Um, and so it, to me, it was the question is, okay, well, why did these succeed? And right. So I spent a chapter l- re- reviewing all of the non-starters. So who are the non-starters and why they fail? Let's right. do that. Okay. So, um, and this is one of my favorite parts of the book because like, wow, this was a pre-Uber, right? The, there are companies called Taxi Magic and Cabulous and Seamless Wheels. A lot of these companies tried to change the taxi industry from within. So Taxi Magic was an app they gave to yellow cab drivers. And the problem with that was, well, first of all, um, you know, the technology in those cars isn't, isn't that great. There was all sorts of reasons why those businesses didn't work. And also, you know, too nice, too idealistic. Uh, they didn't have the access to the capital that Uber and Airbnb did in Silicon Valley. So um, lo- lots of reasons. And then, and then, you know, to me, it's important because you say, well, Uber, they're kind of jerks. But you needed that. It turns out you needed that or you weren't going to succeed. And, you know, you mentioned that there's obviously regulatory hurdles. But when they pitch the idea of, oh, there's some dude's going to stay in my apartment, the venture capitalists are literally looking at these guys like, are you insane? Like, there's unlimited liability here. And same with just, like, getting some dude who doesn't work for you to drive. So what about those legal issues and liability issues, and how have they overcome them? I mean, it's we, we think of venture capitalists as, as the wise men, and yes, unfortunately, mostly men of Silicon Valley. And yet, like most of them looked at this, looked at Uber and looked at Airbnb and passed, you know, and and because they were scared it was a fight, and because the CEOs didn't look like the Bill Gates, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the geeky kind of guys of the past, um, and uh, you know, and and they missed out on the biggest investment opportunities of their careers. So, what happened was uh, that these guys, you know, they didn't ask for permission. As I said, they kind of they spread quickly. And this is, you know, even if you're a critic of these businesses, you have to acknowledge that people love them, right? People flocked to Uber because it created all this option and and they were easier than cabs and in some cases less expensive. You could follow it on your phone and whatnot, and it was easy to pay. And then when people started to love them, when they became endangered by regulation, the customers came out to support them. And that is why they, you know, these businesses turn the tide in a lot of places, not everywhere. You know, Uber's still illegal in some cities in Europe, and it's having a lot of problems. But in, in places where the politicians had to be responsible to the people, the customers for these companies came out in force and made them, uh, made them a reality. But obviously, bad things can happen. I mean, a bad thing can happen in a hotel, and a bad thing can happen in a yellow cab in New York City or in San Francisco. How do you think the, these two companies have handled where, I mean, people have died. Yeah. So how have they done in managing those, I know, like tail risk events, but they happen. And so Jill, how have they, they done mean, that? Yeah. And this was the hardest part of the book, really, to research and report because, you know, there were I found out that, you know, these companies start at the same time. They grow kind of in parallel. And in one day apart, I think it's New Year's 2012, a, a family is struck by an Uber driver in San Francisco, and then a, a Canadian traveler of Taiwanese origin, um, of Taiwanese nationality, dies in an Airbnb from carbon monoxide poisoning. And in both cases, you know, you have to look at, okay, is the company responsible? Well, you know, maybe legally no, because the you know they're denying liability, and the and it's the it's the Airbnb host who was responsible. In the in the case of the Uber, it's the driver, you know, who should have been looking where he was going. But then you say, well, 
you know, the Uber was having somebody, you know, having drivers look at their phones instead of in the road. And Airbnb isn't in- mandating that carbon monoxide monitors are on the wall. So, you know, reasonable people can say they should be taking more responsibility. And I would say early on, they did a very poor job, not only of, you know, ensuring safety on their platforms, but then communicating when these things happen because, you know, the lawyer is whispering in the founder's ear and, you know, the first thing they do is to go protect themselves. So, you know, I, it, you can't avoid the fact that there was there was some chaos that was left in the wake of these businesses growing as fast as they did. Do you think that as, you know, you, you dive into them, I guess I, I say to myself, all right, well, they're two awesome companies. They're well-funded. And they have fundamentally changed those industries. But it's not like they wrote new code. I I, I guess that I'm reading the book and I'm saying this is amazing. They're worth billions of dollars. But, you know, for what? Right. You're asking, are these sort of fundamentally technology companies? Like, what have they Yeah, it's like a service industry. I mean, I would say... um, I think that they have... I would say that they have have invented uh, something. I mean, Uber... You know, it works. A lot of it's behind the scenes, like the ability to know precisely where that car is. We take it for granted now. You get out of the car without paying. It just happens. Right. right? That seamless transaction. Yeah, and is that cool. has, and now everyone's looking to have that kind of Uber-like transaction. And, and and then you get into a yellow cab after you're accustomed to taking Ubers, and you're sitting there swiping your card, going, "Why? You know, why am I doing this? The, a new standard has been set." Uh, and with Airbnb, you know, the fundamental challenge in that market was getting people to trust. The, uh, an experience where uh, somebody's, you know, somebody's house, they might be there while you're staying there. You know, these are all things your mom told you never to do, right? Get into a stranger's car or get into a str- go into a stranger's house. And I think they have had to create these trust mechanisms, and there was innovation behind that. And Airbnb on the payments front, too. Like, that's an international business. You might go to, you know, you're going to South America, and you're, you're paying in a different currency, and it, they take care of all that complexity. So... You know, maybe less invention than, uh, you know, what Microsoft did or what Apple did with the iPhone, but certainly some of it was there. So you had experience with these companies as you were diving into them. What was the most surprising thing that you found out about Uber and what's the most surprising thing you found out about Airbnb that just like blew your mind? The founding story of Uber was a surprise to me. They had kind of whitewashed it a little bit. Um, the, the the inventor was a guy named Garrett Camp. He was inspired by a scene in the James Bond movie Casino Royale, <laughs> which re- you go back and you look at that movie, and there's a scene where James Bond pulls up a pre-Uber Uber on his Sony Ericsson phone. Oh, God. And then that first year, Garrett Camp – so, you know, we're having a big debate right now about immigration. He's from Canada. The original coders of Uber were contractors based in Mexico. This, they just they create the whole thing over a year, and uh, and then it was only then that he kind of pitches it to his buddy Travis Kalanick, and he knows that Travis is the right CEO for a business that will be a fight. And to me, that whole story and the imp- the the DNA from you know the multinational DNA was surprising to me, and kind of a you know as a journalist, refreshing story to tell because it hadn't hadn't been told. Airbnb is another here's another surprising detail. So again, you know, great brand, a little bit of a halo that they put over their own heads. One of the founders, this, the guy, uh, this guy's name is Nate Blacharsik. Uh He's the technical guy. By the way, thank you for saying. Yeah, that. no, I, and I probably messed it up. Apologies. Um, but so he told me that in high school and college, he made a million dollars by creating s- tools for spammers. And this is how he got us started in the business. And 
And then, you know, in the early days of Airbnb, I was sort of wondering, okay, why did they succeed early on when there were so many other businesses trying it? And it was because Nate, in part, because Nate brought his skills to the idea, to to the challenge of building the marketplace. And he only, he did, in some cases, Airbnb was resorting to spam techniques to build a community. But did they poach people from other places like Craigslist. Isn't that what happened as totally. well? They, they basically were like fishing in the <laughs> Craigslist pond because Nate knew how to do this. We called it spamming back then. Now it's growth hacking. Oh, yes. yes of course. I know we have a very, very friendly term for it. But he was quite adept at that. And it got what we nerdily called the flywheel, you know, the chicken and the egg problem. It got it going. And, you know, it turns out you need that growth hacker to start an internet business. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll be back with Brad Stone, author of The Upstarts, in just a second. But, you know, it's so cool because when you talk to someone like Brad, who's been part of the Silicon Valley universe for so long, he has tremendous insights. And he also has a way of identifying the companies that are changing the world, that are that are smashing through the walls of either old technology or old constraints of an industry. I think that that's actually something that these companies share with our sponsor, Betterment. Remember, Betterment is this new way of investing, right? You don't have to go through a lengthy process of meeting with some sales dude who may or may not sell you something that's in your best interest. You actually have an answer to a perennial question. How should I manage my money? That's a question that we often are thinking about as we go through our careers. It could be just when you're starting out. It could be mid-career. It could be as you approach retirement. Betterment has technology that helps you plan for the future and manage your investments intelligently. Globally diversified portfolio, automatic rebalancing, tax-efficient features, award-winning customer service. And now, for those of you who might have some more complexity in your financial life, maybe you just want someone to talk to, Betterment now offers two additional service plans that give you access to a team of CFP professionals and licensed financial experts. So no wasting your time and money planning for the future. Get going right now. Sign up through our podcast link and you can get one month managed free. Visit Betterment.com slash better off for the offer and more information. And now back to our interview with Brad Stone. Do you think that the idea of not having an employee for Uber is the best idea ever, or do you think that's going to end up biting them in the tush? Well, I think legally, it's it's that's a battle that they probably can win, if only because the deck is stacked against employees these days. You know, unions are weak, um, arbitration, uh, class action loss, lawsuits are often invalidated by courts in favor of one-on-one arbitration. And so it's hard for these employees to kind of get status. So it's important for their business. It allows them to not pay you know, benefits and 401ks. Um, you know, on the other, on the flip side, you know, drivers have ultimate flexibility. They can turn on and off the app whenever they want and go to work when they want. Uh, and that's, you know, um, it's important to Uber's business. You know, arguably what it does is ultimately it makes it hard to do it full time and have a sustainable wage unless you're like sleeping in your car and being unhealthy. Uh, but it, it makes it very attractive as part time or piecemeal work for a student or somebody who's temporarily unemployed. So you've now done this deep dive. Are they worth what the valuation is right now? I mean, that is what every investor will be asking when that S1 hits and they and they go public. Yeah, so uh, give well, us a preview. <laughs> why, why do you think we have you here? 
I think, you know, it, the squishy answer is that, you know, they are what people are willing to pay for. I, I think that they're, they've they both got big questions to answer now. With Uber, it's self-driving cars. And, you know, if they can't make a case to investors that they're going to lead in that field and they're up against the Googles and the GMs of the world, like pretty intense competition, then Uber could go to nothing. Like oh, if my they can't, God. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, like, it's terrible to say. I'm sorry. If you've invested in Uber, I apologize. But, I'm not rooting like, for that. But, but, but that's like a that would be a fascinating story of like the first that flames out the disruptor getting disrupted yeah but you know to their credit they're making a massive investment in that and they've you know they've acquired companies they acquired a self-driving car company called auto and you know hired a bunch of good people okay so uber big challenge self-driving cars what about airbnb yeah i think uh they are seeing more regulatory uh, questions now. I think cities for a long time, you know, Airbnb flew under the radar. Hotel industry sort of woke up to, whoa, this thing is worth a lot, you know, more than us. And they started to stir the pot. And now we're seeing in cities like New York or San Francisco or Paris, you know, regulators really look, well, how often should hosts be able to list their homes? And are rental prices or home prices going up because people are just hanging on to their homes and, and listing them on Airbnb? So that's a supply part of the marketplace. And if the supply for Airbnb is limited, then, they, then they're really going to slow down. So I think, you know, Airbnb has to settle some of the ambiguity around how big cities will allow it to get. If you could invest in either one of these two companies uh, and you were an early round and now knowing what you know, which one would you pick? Oh, well, I, that's a good question. You might be stumping me here. I would I will say this. These companies have remained private for so much longer than normally startups have because of limits on the IPO process, because of just the capital environment in Silicon Valley. And Uber, I feel like, has taken advantage of that. It's raised more than $10 billion. I'm just going to say that a lot of the value has been accrued already by those early investors. So I will say Airbnb I would invest in because... Um, you know, they've got a global network effect. Um, they, I think, are the winner in their category. Uber has some regional players like Didi in China, you know, that- Yeah, they that, bailed out of China. Yeah, they bailed out of China. So Airbnb has got a global network effect. And I also think it's in a strength, a position of strength to expand from lodgings into other kind of parts of the travel experience, which they're trying to do. Now, I would like to make a confession to you. Are you ready? I'm ready. I've never used an Airbnb. Does that tell you, A, that I am old- mm be basically a neurotic Jew from New York, or C, um, just a curmudgeon who likes a hotel? Uh, D, all of the above. Perhaps, <laughs> exactly. Right? But I'll say this. I, I don't know that Airbnb is generational. Like plenty of uh, you know retirees who have, have you know love it, rent their own home, travel, staying in other Airbnbs because they like not just visiting a place but having a local connection. Um, but I will say this. Here's my own confession. I came for this book tour to New York. And I thought, I'm going to live the life. And I booked an Airbnb in Brooklyn. Mm. And the host was there. Great guy, Charlie. He was there, but there was a separate uh, p- part of the apartment, bathroom, all privacy. Um, great place in bed great community. My girlfriend took one look at it and was like, this is not happening. This would be the famous Tiffany. Yes. Uh-huh. A book is dedicated to her. And uh, wait a minute. And by what? the way, Jill, I have not confessed this. And so after a night, 
Um, and it was Charlie was great. I you know I had a great time. Shout out to you, Charlie. We we hotel we we moved hold to on a, a second. Okay, yeah. wait a second. What does what was what? Why did she say get me out of here? Okay, well one there was a practical aspect to it, which is she also had work obligations in Manhattan, and so this is like a forty schlep. Minute schlep. I would have told but, you that before, but okay. Yeah, no, I know. And again, I I thought there was an authenticity for this book to be staying in an Airbnb. Mm. But the second part was just frankly. She wasn't enthused about the idea of a str- uh, someone who she didn't know being in this apartment. So, okay, is Tiffany um, a younger person that I could now feel better I would, about I myself? I feel like you, let's just say you guys would get along. Oh man! First of all, I also love a hotel. I think the thing about Airbnb, which is incredibly cool to me, is that you can often be staying in, off the beaten path, off the tourist track, really find your like find this place this new place and it's fantastic but that said what are the new companies you cover silicon valley like what's out there that we should be like holy smokes this is the one keep an eye on this who one. are the next upstarts who are your next upstarts because you need a second you need a follow-up a sequel you know if i knew that um again i might not be a journalist i think you know there's certain areas that you can look at as being promising yeah virtual we could talk about virtual reality or artificial intelligence driverless cars machine learning, and now it feels like I'm throwing terms around. Mm -hmm. The one thing I will say, though, is that we're at this point where Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple, and Facebook are these franchises. Like at one point last year, they were the five largest companies by market cap. And they will no longer allow a VR company, Oculus, which Facebook Mm -hmm. bought, or a driverless car company, Auto, which Uber bought. You know, uh, they don't allow them to spring up in their backyard and be disruptive. They just buy them, mm. or they copy them quickly. So I actually think it will be harder for the next generation of startups to join the ranks of the big five or the big seven if we're going to include Uber and Airbnb. Um, I think that you know we've come to this point where the big guys are so big and they've got so much money. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, how much? capital does Apple have. We're getting to the point where these companies will go and acquire the acquisitive startups before they ever go public. Okay, before we finish up, you know, we have, uh, we started the interview and we said, what was your best money decision? Mm. Now do one of the fun ones. What was your worst money decision? (laughs) Um, The worst financial decision I ever made. Um, Well, um, since we're being perfectly honest, you know, getting divorced is never a good financial decision. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. That so, is a bad and it, one. Lucky for me, it was totally amicable and we're great co-parents and great friends still. Mm. Um, but, you know, you just like that is something that's going to set you back because it's just frankly two homes instead of one. Right. And so, you know, that, uh, you know, that's never the path to, uh, you know, at least short term prosperity. So it's going to have to be that. Well, mine was amicable as soon as I wrote a check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Stone, author of The Upstarts, how Uber, Airbnb, and the killer companies of the new Silicon Valley are changing the world. Thanks for joining us on Better Off. Thank you, Jill. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for our favorite part of the show. It's the Better Off Call of the Week. If you've got a financial question, just shoot us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. All right, today we've got Miss Allison, who's calling from Ohio. Hi, Allison. Welcome to Better Off. How are you? I'm doing great, Jill. How are you? Fantastic. Tell me what's on your mind and how I can help you out. So my question pertains to retirement, and I often hear, max out your retirement benefits, and I feel um, lucky that I have so many options at my disposal. Um, I work for a place that 
um, requires that I put 10% of my income into retirement, and they put 13% of my income. Ooh, I love that. That's uh, nice. Yes, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, for the first time, I maxed out um, my Roth IRA contributions. So you're putting 10% into your retirement plan from work, and then 5500 How old are you? Uh, 29. You're putting 10% of your salary plus 5500 into your Roth? Uh, yes. You are awesome. Okay. okay. How much money do you make? Uh, I only make $40,000 a year. How are you such a good saver? I don't know. Did you learn that from your parents? I mean, that's really awesome. Uh, yeah, my parents are great um, financial models and lived below their means and um, set me up for success. I don't have any student debt because I went to school on scholarship and my car's paid off. So what else am I going to do with my money? That's fantastic. Okay, so you're putting a bunch of money away. Now tell me more. What else is going on? So my employer also offers the option of having a 403B or a 457, Okay, where you can put additional um, pre-tax dollars into either of those accounts. Right. I'm pretty sure that I can do eighteen up to $18,000 in either one of those accounts, which right. is impossible to do all of the things that I just mentioned. Right. But you, so the 10% that you say you're putting away for retirement, is that part of a pension plan? Do you work for, um, you work for a municipality? Uh, I, I work at a place that does offer a pension plan, but my, I chose the alternative retirement plan. So um, it's going into an account that I have control of. So wait a second. I don't get it. The, the 10% that you're putting in, what is that going into? Is that in a... Because normally what they would do is they would say, if you don't do a pension plan, you could do a 403B or a 457. But that's not what the the first 10% that you described is going into? Um, no, it's going into an alternative retirement plan is what they call it. Okay. Um, and Interesting. It's, I chose... Uh, one of the providers, and it's going into low-cost index funds. Okay, perfect. All right, so now you've got, you could potentially put money into a 403B or a 457. Correct. Uh, okay. Or both. Or both, <laughs> right, which fabulous. Just do it all. Um, how much more money do you have that's available to you that you think you could contribute? So I looked at my budget for 2017, and I think that I could potentially put um, around $6,000 more. Okay. Retirement. Okay. Um, any other big bills that are coming up? Like, uh, are you are you saving up for a house? Do you own a house? Do you have a repair? Is anything going on? So I didn't invest in my um, early twenties. So I just had a big chunk in my savings account, and I used that money as a down payment for a house. Fabulous. Two years ago. That's great. Um, and you've got a house, and what kind of mortgage? Um, I have a fixed rate twenty year mortgage at three point eight seven. Girl, you're golden. Okay. Anything that you have to do in the house, any big bill that's coming up. In other words, is there a reason why that $6,000 shouldn't get tied up into retirement and should be kept as free cash flow to, I don't know what, buy a car? Uh, I mean, my car isn't young, (laughs) but... I probably, I mean, I have $7,000 in emergency savings, so hypothetically, I could use part of that as a down payment for a car. Yeah, I, I would keep this emergency savings as an emergency. But okay. that said, how old is the car? Mm, a little over 10 years, uh, maybe 12 uh, years. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> um, are you the kind of person who wants to buy a car in cash and not have any debt? Because you sound like that kind of person. Probably. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I was able to get a relatively low interest rate loan, I would be, um, I would be okay with that. So here's my thought. Um, 
you got you have kids or anything? You got married? Significant uh, other? What's going on for you personally? I live with my significant other, and and we will probably get married in the next couple of years. Oh, that's so nice! That made me smile. Yeah. Um, okay, um, and and sig other is okay financially. Uh, yeah. Okay, good. So my thought here is that you've done a very good job of saving. I tell you what, I think I would just keep doing what you're doing in terms of putting your 10% into the alternative retirement plan, 5500 into your Roth. I might keep that extra six grand and build up your emergency reserve and maybe start to do the car thing sooner rather than later. And here's why. I think that um, basically, if you're kind of projecting out into the future... 10-year-old car, you're probably more likely to need a car in the next year or so. And and again, maybe you wouldn't, but maybe it's time to start looking. Right now, interest rates are still really low. If you did need an auto loan, now would be a pretty good time to start shopping for one, to like find one of these 2.9% auto loans before interest rates start to rise more significantly. So I'm, I'm less concerned about your retirement just because you're such a good saver. And I'm more concerned with like, hey, you know what? You're going to have this six grand extra. You might need to tap that six grand. So I don't think I would actually put it in retirement. Tell me like if in a year from now, you got the car, you're done, you got a little raise, you and the significant other living together, saving more money, and you've got freed up cash flow then, then I might put money into either the 403B or the 457. But I don't want you to feel like completely compelled because remember, you're young and you do need to have some liquidity just in case something goes on. And and I think the car is like the next big thing for you. Okay. Make sense? I think that makes sense. You're fantastic. Good luck. And um, uh, you know what? Mark and I would like an invitation to the wedding whenever that happens, okay? Oh, okay. All right. Will do. Put us on the list. Thanks. We give good gifts. That's the, that's the best part about inviting us. Oh, nice. All right. Thanks so much for calling, Allison. Thank you so much, Jill. Take care. Okay, that's another episode of Better Off in the Can. Want to thank Brad Stone, the author of The Upstarts, for joining us. And thank you for all those great questions. Don't forget, there's a new episode of the Better Off podcast every Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag Better Off. You can also reach me via email, askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.